GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand. Hello, thanks for listening to the Gibraltar Today podcast. I'm Jonathan Scott. After an emotional baby loss awareness week, we spoke to Kate Jufrio of the charity Baby Steps to find out how awareness has been raised. We spoke to our sports reporter, Jose Mari Ruiz, in Portugal, who's in Faro, Portugal, for the Gibraltar game against the Republic of Ireland this evening. And we have more election news. It has been a long few weeks of election campaigning. It's been exciting and we've enjoyed being a part of it. And we'd like to thank you for the many questions that you've sent in that you thought we needed to ask on your behalf or just general ideas for our election coverage. We work for you, so it was great to work with you at what was an important moment for Gibraltar's democracy. This weekend, there was a victory tour for the GSLP Liberals who visited the housing estates. Our reporter, Kevin Ruiz, was there, and he joined me in the studio to tell us about that and also his impressions of the government announcement of new ministerial portfolios. The chief minister retains responsibility for the economy, for public finance, and he's also the minister for financial stability. He takes on digital services as well as the information technology and logistics department. And he becomes the constituency MP for Moorish Castle Estate, as well as the Galpe and Upper Town areas. Joseph Garcia is still the Deputy Chief Minister and he retains previous ministerial responsibilities, including being the Minister for Land. He's also now the constituency MP for Lower Town areas. All ministers now have responsibility for geographic areas, apart from Sir Joe Bosano, but we'll get to that in just a moment. Gemma Arias Vasquez takes on responsibility for health and also the care agency, elderly residential services, public health, quality of care. She's the new minister for business, for the port, for maritime services, for the office of fair trading, and also for town planning, procurement, and public utilities. That's a lot. She's the chair of Aquajib and Jibalek, and she's the constituency MP for the Westside area. Nigel Feetham is also a new minister, but he's been given a fair amount of responsibility as well. Financial services and gaming, taxation, postal services, data protection, and he becomes the chair of Jib Telecom, as well as the Minister for Justice, and that includes the Anti-Corruption Authority. He's the constituency MP for Glasses, Laguna, Ocean Village and Bayside. Moving on to Christian Santos. He'll take on the equality portfolio, including minorities, supported needs and the disability strategy. Employment and supported employment come under him as well as training, apprenticeships and skills, health and safety, youth, culture, tourism and also entry points into Gibraltar. He will chair an interministerial committee on drug abuse and rehabilitation and he becomes the constituency MP for Varelbeg, Jib 5 and Mid Harbours. John Cortez is still the Minister for Education. He has responsibility also for quality of life, green Gibraltar, 
the child-friendly city, the environment, climate change, heritage, the upper rock, marine resources, technical services, infrastructure, transport, traffic, the implementation of the sustainable traffic, transport and parking plan. He takes on a new responsibility, that of maintaining and nurturing a relationship with Morocco. And he is the constituency MP for the Alameda area and the South District. So he's also got a fair amount on his plate. Pat Orfila has one ministry, but it's a very big one, housing. She takes on constituency responsibilities for Bayview, Cumberland, Nelsons, Anchorage, Roja Plaza and Rojadale, as well as Europa Point. And last of the new ministers, Leslie Brusson, takes on sport, leisure, industrial relations, civil contingencies, the fire and rescue service, and he's the constituency MP for the East Side and the Galeda. And the father of Parliament, the man who's been in Parliament for 51 years, Sir Joe Bossano, remains the Minister for Economic Development and also for Inward Investment. He keeps responsibility for the National Economic Plan, as well as telecoms, the Savings Bank, and he is not a constituency MP for a geographic area, he is the constituency MP for all senior citizens. So there you have it, uh, an overview of the new ministerial portfolios announced by the Chief Minister this Monday lunchtime. I discussed the announcement with my colleague Kevin Ruiz. Very interesting, the combination of uh, portfolios. Of course, they've been shared out between nine ministers this time round. Um, also interesting um, to see new uh, ministers, uh, people who are new to the political arena, new to parliament, um, take on considerable um, portfolios and responsibilities. We've got Gemma Vasquez, Minister for Health and all the associated care agency, public health, but also business, the port, town planning, utilities, which are pretty much uh, standalone ministries in their own right. Um, Mushakosa. Mushakosa. Feetum, uh, Nigel Feetum as well, financial services, gaming and all the related, uh, finance-related uh, um, responsibilities, but also the Minister for Justice, another uh, big uh, portfolio, no? Um, yeah. Same with Christian Santos, equality and minority, supportive needs, employment, training, health and safety, culture and uh, tourism. Again, tourism being part of a wider um, set of responsibilities. Um, tourism, of course, um, under the spotlight recently, in recent years, we've seen um, the GTB, the old GTB as we knew it. Tourist board. Yep, um, closed down and um, people have been moved around and it's all, the, the, the GTB is now mostly being controlled from London with that newly created post. So it'll be interesting to see how that develops, especially with um, tourist sites again being divided from tourism, which has been the case for a number of years now, where tourism has been divided into two, and John Cortes assuming responsibility for the Upper Rock and all the tourist sites in Gibraltar. As you said, he retains education, but also incorporates quality of life, which is all about green Gibraltar, the environment, conservation, which is very John Cortes, but also refuse, and the big headache perhaps for, for John Cortes, transport, a ministry which is... Uh, 
Um, a difficult one. A no? difficult one over some, the last two terms. Some big transport challenges. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and now those are his. They used to be Paul Balvan's, now they're his. He's also uh, Heritage, which has also been aligned with, with John Cortes for many years. But very, very interesting. Um, John Cortes, a new responsibility. Um, the first time it appears in any Gibraltar government portfolio, relations with Morocco. Um, very interesting in a post-Brexit uh, environment. Not to see that a, a, a portfolio or... or Somebody know, has been... Yep, it's a standalone responsibility now, no? Relations with, with uh, Mor- Morocco. No surprise with Patorfila housing, no? She's uh, been working with that um, for decades um, for the party. And um, Mr. Brusson, sports at leisure... But industrial relations, but a biggie there, civil contingency. No, we've uh, just seen how important civil contingencies is in the last few years. We've uh, seen that um, department come, uh, you know, to the fore um, with COVID and, and all the different um, emergency situations Gibraltar's lived in the last few years. So that's an interesting one. Maybe as an emergency health professional, maybe mm. they, they thought that he had sort of relevant expertise. There are also lots of very... Um, reliable and experienced uh, uh, personnel that w- he would be working with in the civil service, the likes of the civil contingencies coordinator, Ivo Lopez, and so it's 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 it, there's a very strong team there already. Sí. No? Muy interesante, and like, as you mentioned there, the very interesting thing is the creation of what are we calling them? Um, oh, constituencies. Constituencies with each yeah. resp- with each minister having a responsibility. Now, Dr. Garcia, the deputy chief minister just spoke moments ago and explained the why. This is a reaction to what happened this election. We've got a clip. Okay, let's... Uh, let's... He explained why the creation of these um, responsibilities. We've received a message from the electorate and there are lessons to be learned and we're certainly already from day one implementing a strategy by which we learn those lessons and we address the issues and concerns and the idea of associating our members of parliament and our ministers with specific areas of Gibraltar is part of that strategy. We've learnt, we've received the message loud and clear and we're going to act on that to to make sure that things change going forward. But we will deliver for the people of Gibraltar. Joseph Garcia, the Deputy Chief Minister. Kevin Drees is here in the studio with me. Kevin. And Jonathan, a message he delivered today and a message which we heard on Saturday when the GSLP Liberals toured Gibraltar um, as is the norm with the GSLP and Liberal Party, the Alliance, after every election, they go round Gibraltar's estate thanking the, the electorate for their support and their vote. And this was one of the messages Fabian Picardo was delivering to, to the people gathered there, to, to the electorate, that um, they have taken note of the message the electorate has sent them at this election with a very tight election. Um, Fabian Picardo spoke of perhaps he and Dr Garcia devoted too much time to international relations to the neglect of domestic issues and they say they are listening and they will be uh, they will dedicate more time more to, to domestic affairs this time round Fabian Picardo had a few words as well on Saturday which we collected <laughs> La gente trabajadora, la clase trabajadora, siempre podemos vencer y reconocemos 
que en estos cuatro años Joseph y yo nos concentramos demasiado en lo que había que hacer afuera de Gibraltar y no nos concentramos bastante en lo que hay que hacer adentro de Gibraltar y estos cuatro años vamos a estar adentro de Gibraltar más que nada nunca más nos van a llevar al límite y nunca más le vamos a permitir las mentiras y los insultos contra nosotros y en particular contra Joe, que ha dado su vida por el trabajador y el arte amado de todos y se le va a caer la cara de vergüenza cada día que estemos en el Parlamento. Fabian Picardo speaking this weekend at Hustings, um, basically like a victory tour, no, Kevin? Yep. Um, again, um, there were accusations towards the GSD. There were de there were defences towards the GSD's accusations. Fabian Picardo told the crowds gathered there that um, he would hold the GSD accountable for the calumny raised against Sir Joe Bosano and also for the insults hurled uh, at the party and individual candidates of the GSLP Liberal Alliance. He says um, the GSLP Liberals have told the truth, the GSD hasn't, and that he will prove that what the GSD has said is not true. All right. He called the GSD the weakest opposition we have ever had with the most inexperienced people um, in the political sphere. Um, importantly, Fabian Picardo also confirmed to us on Saturday... Uh, Pedro Sanchez. He did WhatsApp him back, apparently, according to Fabian Picardo, um, in response to his shout-out at the uh, election victory and speech. So it's your story that's been picked up by all Spanish media? Yes, they picked it up, because, funnily enough, on Sunday, they were um, the Spanish media had an opinion piece wondering whether uh, Pedro Sanchez and Fabian Picardo had indeed, uh, you know, ever interacted. And you answered the question. <laughs> Apparently so. <laughs> <laughs> on Radio Gibraltar and on GBC Television, Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. It was uh, Baby Loss Awareness Week. It's just come to uh, an end uh, on the 15th uh, last night. Um, it's uh, part of the annual global wave of light um, uh, sort of celebration. I don't think celebration is the right word. Uh, marking um, and uh, it's a painful event that parents are remembering and families, uh, but uh, the saying is that, of course, those who have been lost are too precious to forget. And joining us now in the studio is Joel Hernandez of the charity Baby Steps. Um, good afternoon, Joel. Thank you very much for being here. Good afternoon, Jonathan. It's actually Kate, Joelle's oh, my so sister, sorry. but she's also one of the trustees. So I'm so sorry. We've <laughs> it's heard... me today. <laughs> no worries. I didn't even look up. You would have, you would have noticed I didn't even you look up. You won't be the first one to mistake we, 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 me for my sister. We, 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 we were told that it was Joelle who was coming in, and, and, and I, didn't, I didn't bat an eyelid. No worries. Um, <laughs> Kate, sorry about that. Uh, Kate and Anders. Kate... Um, you're frío. You're frío now, of course. Yeah. Uh, thank you for, for joining us. And, um, thank uh, you for and having us. Tell us a little bit then, uh, a, a very... Um, um, a difficult event, life event for parents to deal with, but but extremely important to raise awareness because um, it, it, we those around us can inadvertently make it worse. Apart from other things, I was reading a post from from one of the the mothers who was marking baby loss awareness week, and and she was just saying how how some people had made it in in inadvertently they they wanted to be kind and they wanted yeah. but they approached the yeah. subject maybe a, a little bit nonchalantly and yeah with the best of intentions i think it's one of those things that you haven't really been there you don't 
necessarily understand. And even if you have, obviously, losses mean different things to different people. And often, you know, the, the earlier losses are sort of considered as somehow lesser to the later losses. And each experience is different. Each um, family's journey is different. And um, we're very much of the mindset that you can't really judge what that loss meant to that particular family. So we offer that support to everyone. And as you say, you know, the, the public don't necessarily always have a lot of understanding in this area. And um, sometimes, you know, as you say, with the best of intentions, they can sort of diminish that loss and that can be even more hurtful to, to parents. It's a very lonely experience and you can understand that that baby perhaps didn't feel real to other people who never perhaps got to, got to meet them but to that family that may have been a very real future that they had already imagined that of they course. are grieving. You start sort of thinking about, I mean, um, nowadays, you know, uh, a lot of parents think about names before the child is born. Absolutely. They start referring to their child yeah. by, by the name. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they maybe prepare the room. Mm -hmm. they, they think about how they might get along with siblings. Yeah. It's, it, and even sometimes in advance of the pregnancies, you know, we have unfortunately... Um, people who come along who have experienced very difficult journeys of infertility and then you know this was their ray of hope really precious you know and then unfortunately what seemed like it was it was the light at the end of the tunnel unfortunately doesn't doesn't come to fruition so that can be incredibly painful also and, and Gibraltar is a close-knit community and it's lovely that, you know, we we know each other so well. And uh, the flip side to that sometimes is that, you know, you, you might feel that you're okay to, to sort of say to somebody, oh, you're thinking of having another ch child mm -hmm. then? Or, you know, maybe maybe an older brother or a younger brother or sister? Yeah. For... It's very natural conversation. You know, these are comments that people are used to making without really batting an island you know or, or questions like oh are they your first or how many children have you got those can be quite painful questions as a bereaved parent to to have to answer and and again you know that nobody's asking them um in an unkind way but unfortunately it can just sort of add uh, salt into into that wound and uh, i know that there are some amazing people at the the health authority uh, who do great work, mm -hmm. uh, including in this area. Yeah. But no system is perfect. Uh, and, yeah. and again, I was reading some comments from a, a bereaving mother um, uh, about, you know, sort of being contacted for appointments that, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously were no longer relevant. Yeah, this is some something that unfortunately has been ongoing and I know that some work has been done on that and I, my understanding is that it doesn't happen quite as frequently as it used to, but unfortunately it does still happen. And for those individuals on both sides of that conversation, because obviously for the professional, it's also very distressing to make that phone call um, and then find out that actually, you know, they've, they've sort of put their foot in it in a, uh, in a way. Um, so, yeah, as, as you say, you know, no system is perfect. There is always room for for improvement there was a, a very big um, research project undertaken in in uk just in july this year that came up with over 70 recommendations on how to improve care specifically for the uh, pre-24 week losses i think more is known about the later losses even though there's still work to be done there but certainly those those earlier losses are the ones where we're lacking in research we're lacking in figures we don't know in Gibraltar how many people lose a pregnancy before 24 weeks. So these are all, you know, things that, that we need in order to be able to understand whether the systems in place are actually the right ones and, and can cater for the people who need them. Um, we know, for example, that um, one in three people who go through a miscarriage 
end up with, with symptoms of PTSD um, and that can last beyond a year. Um, we know that they're more prone to things like postnatal depression in subsequent pregnancies as well as in that pregnancy. So all of these are things that we need to make sure that we're being proactive about as far as possible. And baby steps, um, how have you approached that um, sort of gap in understanding? And So over the years, you know, we, we developed initially as a very much a peer support uh, type of, of group, you know, and unfortunately we'd all been through different journeys uh, where we'd experienced difficulties in, in growing our families. Um, and then as a result of, as, as you say, you know, the conversations you have with other people and the experiences they have, we did feel that... Um, that was something that we needed to um, address at a, at a more systemic level. So we have met with various ministers. We've met with the chief minister. Um, we were very grateful that the new minister, uh, Gemma Arias Vasquez, actually came along last night to the Wave of Light. So we're looking forward to having more conversations with her as to you know, what sort of resource um, is required to improve the situation at the GHA, both for the patients and also for the staff. And so, so do we know? We we don't know how many um, children, uh, babies are lost before the twenty-four week mark. Mm-hmm. Do we know how many are, are lost after? Um, there's more research on on that. Obviously, Gibraltar being such a small jurisdiction, you do get fluctuations. But my understanding is, you know, typically you have around one to two percent of all. Uh, pregnancies in any one year will end in a stillbirth or a neonatal death. So that's a death sort of in the first few weeks um, of of life. So that would equate to a fairly small number in Gibraltar, but it does fluctuate from year to year. Yeah. Uh, no less devastating, obviously, for Absolutely. the parents yeah. who, who go through it. Um, so so what, what can, apart from raising awareness so that uh, we as individuals can be um, more sensitive in, our, in the mm-hmm. questions that we ask of others, and apart from uh, working with the health authority to, to try to improve systems so that uh, they are as sensitive as possible, mm-hmm. um, when, when, when uh, something like this um, so tragic so tragic happens so that it's not compounded apart from that what else can we do as a as a society and can baby steps do as a charity well i think one thing that we're quite uh, pleased was talked about last year and we're waiting to see come into fruition is the bereavement leave for parents that was something that was uh, discussed and agreed at parliament but my understanding is it hasn't actually been enacted so we're looking forward to that actually coming um, into place. I think the most important thing is to respect that people grieve in different ways, uh, that there's no right one right way about doing this. You know, some people come along to the wave of light in person. Some people do it privately. That's absolutely fine. Some people prefer not to remember or mark it at all. And, and you know, there's no right or, or wrongs here. It's just about respecting what that journey means to that individual and that family. Okay, so and and uh, and talk to us a little bit about um, about yesterday and the global wave of light and 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 how it was marked locally. Yeah, so we uh, for a number of re- of years now have have held it at uh, Westview Park, and um, families come along and they can light a candle, write a message if they want to. We have 
um, bereavement literature and things that they can have a look at. Uh, and it's an opportunity really for those who want to, to have conversations with other people who may have been through similar journeys, um, who can perhaps um, relate and, and understand. But also some people equally just come along, stay for a few minutes and then leave. Uh, and, and that's absolutely fine also, you know. Um, we had the, the Moorish Castle lit up in, in pink and blue for us as well. Just again, just to send that message beyond just the, the actual wave of light event at the Westview Park itself. Um, and the, I think one of the most touching things for me is when we have families who come along who have been bereaved very, very long ago and have never spoken about that loss. Um, we've had ladies who've come along who maybe lost a baby 40, 50 years ago and have never been allowed to speak about that. So that's really emotive to know that, you know, that that presence is still there and the fact that they're feeling more able to talk about it now, I think, is hopefully a sign that we're moving in the right direction in terms of, you know, being more open about these things where people want to. And you you mentioned um, the possibility of PTSD after mm-hmm. the event and and postnatal depression, yeah. but um, but I suppose that as well as the clinical conversations that may need to take place if professional support is is needed, I imagine that being able to talk about it with people who have actually gone through something similar is also part of the healing process. Absolutely, for some people, other people, it's a very private grief and they prefer to keep it that way and you know that is obviously to be respected. Um, but yes, we do find that quite often, you know, having conversations with other parents who've, who've been in that situation um, might actually be enough for some people and they don't necessarily need to go for the for the professional um, counselling and, and that sort of route. Um, I think the fact is that unfortunately there can be different triggers across the year so sometimes you might be okay for a while and then it hits you like a like a ton of bricks you know. Um, Christmas can be difficult, anniversaries, birthdays, those sorts of events where it's a sudden loss you know and, and even many years later for example um, my son would have been starting his, his GCSE years now so those key milestone moments that you know just bring them back into into quite quite sharp um rawness again you know you you sort of learn to get on with life and life goes on and I have two amazing children who bring me lots of joy and all of all of that but um you know there's still those moments where it, it, it feels like it was just yesterday so I think having that peer support that's around you whenever you need it um can be just as important as having the the professional counseling where obviously there is there is a place for that also and and is this something that uh, from your experience um uh, principally you know from a charity's perspective i mean um is this something which is mainly um sort of pain that the mother will carry with her or is it pain for parents no i mean when i say ptsd there's evidence that partners can also develop PTSD as a result in the same way that partners can also develop a version of of postnatal depression. So unfortunately, and and I think you're right to bring it up, you know, fathers in particular can sometimes be sidelined from these conversations and they're often asked, oh, how is she doing? So a lot of uh, the literature that we shared, for example, yesterday, there's a lot there specifically for fathers and specifically for grandparents, for example, who are grieving not just the loss of their grandchild, but also seeing their, their child having to go through this very difficult experience. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, it permeates, the, the ripples are there. You know, there's the other children in the family who can also be affected, whether they were born after the loss, so having conversations, for example, with my children about their older brother who they never got to meet, or if it's actually been a child that they may even have, have 
met or were looking forward to meeting. Um, so, yeah, the ripples go well beyond just the person actually experienced the physical act of, of the miscarriage or the, or the birth. And I hope this doesn't sound wrong, but but it's the the grief is the other side of of the love, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yes. it, it speaks to the love. That, I think uh, Queen Elizabeth said that no grief is the price we pay for love, and this is why you know for us it's very much about we want to remember, not remembering almost as a disservice to that love. Um, so you know it, it's it's really important to us, and people worry about oh if I mention their baby are they going to get upset? Actually, it's a beautiful thing when anybody mentions my son to me, you know, because it shows that you know that that is a member of my family and it's not something that we get to talk about very often um so if you feel that that person is just receptive and obviously you do it in a sensitive way and you're close enough that you can have those conversations it's a beautiful thing to be able to ask them about the child that they've lost okay um kate before we let you go um what's next for for the charity baby steps and and um if anyone's listening and is interested in in finding out more speaking to you how should they go about doing so so facebook is usually our main point of contact we're aware that you know with with generational change we may need to expand beyond that to other social media (laughs) platforms um but that tends to be our, our main point of contact they can private message us we also have a secret facebook group that they can be added to if they want to um to discuss with other parents um i think we're very keen to meet with Gemma and um you know discuss her experiences as well in 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 this uh, area of, of difficulties through pregnancy and and see how we can continue to work together with the professionals with other volunteer organizations and just you know as much as possible as you said you know this is a difficult experience let's not add to that difficulty with things that might be quite simple to resolve at times Gibraltar Today with Jonathan Scott. Tonight, uh, Gibraltar is in action in football in Faro, Portugal, and Jose Marirris is there at the moment. Uh, Jose, what's the ambiente like? Good afternoon, Jonathan. Well, as you can expect with uh, all Irish sports, it's quite good ambiente here. Around 3,000 fans have uh, turned up to Faro, and they've not just been here today, they've been here across the whole weekend, making the, the most of that Saturday and Sunday off work. And they've been out quite early today, enjoying the sun, a little bit of it, not too much. Some of them worried it might rain tonight. But uh, all of them in good spirits and optimistic about tonight's game, but also a bit worried considering Ireland's recent form. So Ireland have been in poor form. Gibraltar has not been in great form either. Uh, They're missing one or two players. Um, What's the mood like in the Gibraltar camp? Well, the Gibraltar camp, like you said, they're missing a couple of good players, Julian Valerino, Graham Torida, Bernardo Lopez, key centre-back figure for us that always partners Roy. So it's going to be difficult, but I also think Ireland isn't going to particularly play their strongest team. I was watching the, the training session yesterday, and a lot of the, the stars are obviously important Premier League players as well. And considering that the, the game means nothing for them now that they can't qualify, I wouldn't be surprised if some of those Premier League clubs have been in touch with the Irish team and asked them possibly to not play them unless they had to because it wouldn't be worth risking getting injured you know, for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if Ireland played a, a weaker side. But that could also mean players that are hungry to show what they're made of. And considering that the the more important players haven't proved that they're good enough this campaign, at least, those players might be be hungry to to score quite a few goals tonight. So it could go either way. And uh, what about team news for for Gibraltar? Who are we expecting to start? And and will there be any surprises? 
I think it'll be the usual. I think definitely what we saw against Wales, that seems to be the, the starting eleven that will probably start tonight. I can't see that changing really. I mean, we saw the usual faces play that game. Uh, Ethan Jolly has slotted in, into right back with Jack Sargent moving into the centre of defence because obviously with the absence of uh, Bernardo Lopez. And up front, of course, we've had TJ, we've got Ethan Brito, so... I can't see that lineup changing because if it did, I don't know. I don't know who would start. So that seems to be our strongest team, and uh, what the team I suppose will start tonight for sure. Okay, so um, one question remains. I think, Jose, what what are you expecting the result to be? If you had to, if you had to say, I mean, it's it's, it's tough to to be optimistic here as a Gibraltar fan. But if we look at Ireland's record throughout this campaign, they've only scored two goals outside of the the three goals they scored against us. So they've not been great in front of goal, really. And uh, I've actually done a, a vox pop with some Irish fans around town this morning, and they agreed that if there was a chance for Gibraltar to win, this would be it. It would be tonight. Some of them even being optimistic for Gibraltar, saying they could win one nil. That's how pessimistic some of the Irish fans are being about tonight's game. So Goodness. I maybe go for a nil nil draw. All right. Yeah, nil nil draw maybe. And and in very short, because we're out of time, um, a, a lot of Irish fans there have Gibraltarians travelled as well. Well, the Gibraltar system normally works with the GFA that the buses come up on the day. So they'll definitely be here later on. I think they schedule it so that they're here around 5 p.m. Portugal right. time. And I think I've been talking to the GFA and around 1,000 tickets have been sold for the Gibraltar side. So it's definitely going to feel more like an away game for our players because there's around 3,000, 3,500 Irish fans. Yeah, but 1,000 is, is, is good support anyway, no? Uh, right, Jose yeah. Marit Ruiz, uh, thank you so much for joining us from Faro in Portugal ahead of Gibraltar versus the Republic of Ireland. Thanks for listening to those highlights from Gibraltar today. I'm Kelly M. Borge, the show's producer. We're live on Radio Gibraltar Monday to Friday from 1 to 2, getting behind the headlines. And you can catch up here whenever you like. Until next time, have a good one. GBC Podcasts, local voices on demand.